It is my tremendous privilege to be with you today. Certainly, I don't deserve to be here. But the Lord is good, you know, and he has given me a second opportunity to be with you today. Now, please pray for me a second or two, so the Lord will lead me to say what I intended to tell you, and that your brain will work out my deficiencies in English. So, and this is very opportune because it's when the disciples started speaking in tongues, you know, and they could understand. Now, tomorrow, or the day after tomorrow, the impossible might happen. Mexico might achieve it's third win in Russia. You know that? Some people are already wondering how it was possible for Mexico to defeat Germany 1-0. to zero. You see, the attendance at the stadium where Mexico and Sweden will play will go crazy if Mexico wins. Mexico City will became, become the capital of the world. And for what? Moses, don't you see? Mexico has security participation in the next round. The impossible. My dear brothers and sisters, the impossible has already happened. John 3.16 tells us about it. Remember? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You want to think about the impossible? That's impossible. But God is the God of the impossible, and he gave his only begotten son, so I can be saved, so you can be saved. Now, I have a question for you, and it is not a rhetorical question. It's not a question that I will answer immediately. What was the purpose of God when he led Dr. Luke to write so carefully in this chapter 2 of Acts about the coming of the Holy Spirit? So everybody will understand. Let me suggest to you and offer to you that the reason it was written in the Bible is that we might believe that the Holy Spirit has come. Remember I spoke about you last time, a few weeks ago, that we have the tendency not to believe, that we have the tendency to become part of the Thomas Didymus party. Okay? 
You see, we have to see in order to believe. We have to touch in order to believe. Thomas believed when he saw Jesus. And Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen. Blessed are the ones that did not see and believed. Now, you may remember the will not to believe that I presented to you a few weeks ago. Let me give you another example of the will not to believe. There was a certain man who thought, who was certain that he was dead. Nobody could convince him of the contrary. Finally, he's taken to a famous psychiatrist or psychologist, I don't know what, to cure him, okay, of his wrong belief. But to no avail. Every reason was presented, he had a counter. Every argument, he could counter it. Finally, the doctor thought about something. He took a needle, took an opportunity, and pinched the dead man. Before that, they had discussed lengthy. And the doctor had asked him a question. Do dead people bleed? And the man said, of course not. They are dead. So when the doctor was able to pinch him with the needle, drops of blood started appearing immediately. So the doctor told the man, you saw? You see? You are not dead because you are bleeding. And the man said, no, doctor, no, doctor. <laughs> we were mistaken. Dead people bleed. <laughs> you see, we need to beg God to give us the faith enough to believe what he tells us. Now, as we have discussed before, we have been so entrapped in this world with the philosophy current that we only believe if our senses can detect it. But God does not want us to be not believers. This is the reason Jesus looked after Thomas and he showed himself to Thomas. Because Jesus didn't want a Thomas, an unbeliever Thomas. God wants you and me to be believers. And that's the reason he instructed Dr. Luke to record carefully how it was when the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, came. I pray that even today, all of us will be sure that the Holy Spirit has come and that he is with us 
and that he is with us and within us. And if we have the Holy Spirit, our way of thinking is going to change. Our way of living is going to change. Now, let us notice how this chapter 2 starts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Some versions read that they were in one accord. You see, the key idea is unity. Yes, unity. A unity somewhat similar to the unity at Babel. Genesis 11 tells us that the people at Babel were united with one language and with the same words. Just imagine, imagine that everybody here will, would understand if I tell you, mi casa es su casa. My home is your home. Now, we need to make a distinction between the unity at Babel and the unity at Pentecost. In Acts, the believers are in unity all together because they are obeying a direct order given by Jesus. Remember? It is recorded in Acts 1, 4. He told the believers not to depart from Jerusalem in order to wait for the promise of the Father. You see? So in faithful obedience, they went to the upper room where the 11 disciples were living. In verse 15 of chapter 1, we found that they were about 120 people gathered together. Now, let us take a brief look to Babel. In spite of the order given by God, to man in Genesis 1, 28, to fill the earth and to subdue it, in spite of the terrible consequences of the flood, the men have decided once more not to obey the Lord. So in Genesis 11, we found that men had seen a nice and suitable place to live and decided to stick together to build, to build a city for themselves. They, there were no stones, no problema. They, they would cook the bricks to use instead of stones. There was no cement, no problema. They would use tar instead to join the bricks. So far, so good. Now, in other challenge to God, they decided to build a tower so tall that the pinnacle would reach heaven so they would be remembered. It seems to be that very few people grasp 
the enormous significance of the power of unity. God appraises this situation and renders a verdict. Genesis 11:6 tells us that these men have one language, they have decided to do something together, nothing will stop them. Therefore, God decided to break that rebellious unity. How? Confounding their languages. So they cannot understand each other. So, they abandon the construction and they scatter all over the earth. Now, thanks to God, we have Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the renewal, the reversal, sorry, the reversal of Babel. Let us take a brief look to Acts 2. You see, in the first four verses, we find that there was a sound like a rushing wind. We find that there was like tongues of fire. And we find that the disciples started speaking in strange tongues. Why three things that are mighty? The rushing wind, the fire, and the speaking in tongues. I think that the reason is because each one of those symbolized something that God had used before. You see, the wind sometimes was used as the Spirit of God, right? Like, for example, when Nicodemus the famous teacher goes and speaks with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, the Holy Spirit is like a wind. Nobody knows where it's going to go. So you see here in Pentecost, a mighty sound, like a mighty wind is heard. But also, the fire. The fire reveals the presence of God. Remember Moses with the bush? Remember that he was told, take out your sandals because you are in holy ground. But now, why speaking in tongues? Remember Bible. In Bible, everybody spoke the same language. They used the same words. How now, after being scattered and developed different languages, how could they understand the message of salvation? Well, it has to be a reversal of Babel. And that's the reason the Holy Spirit empowers the disciples to speak in different tongues. Why is recorded so faithfully? Because, my brothers and sisters, we need to believe that the Holy Spirit is here. 
And we need to believe the promise of the Father that he will give his spirit to every believer. Because we do not believe, we do not attempt to do mighty things for the Lord. Because we see our means. When I was young, I could jump perhaps half a yard, I don't know. I mean up, okay? Now, not even four inches. So, we see what we have. And we see El Paso is, is too big. We can't do nothing. And then we decide not even to try. You see what I'm trying to tell you? I am trying to tell you that the Holy Spirit is here because this is the proof in the Bible and because the promise of the Father is that if you believe, the Holy Spirit is within you. So you shall not think in terms of what you are. You shall not think in terms of what you have. You shall not think in terms of what you are able to do by yourself. But you need to think what the Holy Spirit can do. And then allow the Holy Spirit to use you. And you will see how your life is going to change. Unfortunately, as, as I told you, Last time, something happens and the clock goes too fast. And there are many more things that I would like to tell you. But let me go very quickly to point to you in verse 12. That when people see what is happening, they say, what does this mean? And this is a crucial question that we need to ask for ourselves, each of us. What does this mean that the Holy Spirit has come? And what does this mean that the Holy Spirit is within me? You remember that in the narrative, some people think, ah, they are filled with new wine. They are drunk. And people may think that you are drunk when you start working alongside the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. Don't be taken by surprise because not everybody is going to understand your new way of thinking and your new way of doing, living to doing things. You got it? And also, very quickly, see in verse 17, says, I will put out my spirit in all flesh. All flesh means no discrimination. Not only the Mexicans, not only the Americans, not only the white, not only the black. All flesh, 
young and old, short and tall, thin and fat like me. All flesh, what is the requisite? The requisite is in verse 11. My male servants and female servants, you need to be a servant of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is not to be given just like the lottery. No, you need to be a servant of the Lord. And what this is for? My brothers and sisters, each one of us have been empowered to say and to tell the mighty works of God. And that's the first thing that has to change in your mind if you are recipient of the Holy Spirit. Because nowadays, perhaps your thinking goes, my goodness, it's the end of the month and I have no money to pay my bills. Oh, my daughter is leaving for university. I will not see her for four years. Oh, my daughter needs money for this enterprise or whatever. You see, we are busy with, with things that are temporal. And our way of thinking should change. See what the Bible says in verse 11. We hear them telling in our tongues what? The mighty works of God. How familiar are you with the mighty works of God? Are you the people who are thinking that God worked in Egypt? I recommend you a video. Later I will tell you more details if you are interested. When they portray God as a very old man sitting on a chair, rocking, and then someone comes and awakes him. I say, yes, yes. And then he's asked, who are you? And he says, I am Jehovah. But before he can tell, he has to look at his medicines because there is the name Jehovah. And some of us think that God is too old, you know? We need to become familiar with the mighty works of God, not only years back, but the mighty works of God that He's doing even now. And sometimes because we are not opening our eyes, we don't see what the Lord is doing even in our times. Just a few days ago, <clears throat> I was told of a person who had terminal cancer. And this is a reliable story. I can tell you the details of who told me and you can investigate and when the next time they went to the doctor, no tumor. 
But sometimes we don't think that the Lord is working even today. And I am sure that the Lord is not going to cure every cancer. You remember Jesus said that, right? Not everybody is going to be healed. The one who is going to be healed is the one that the Lord decides, but he's able to do whatever he wants. But when you have the Holy Spirit, not only your way of thinking is going to change, but also the way you live. How do you use your time? How do you use your money? How do you use all the resources that God has given to you? How do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your children? How do you treat your neighbor and your friends? You see, the way that you live is going to announce to everybody that the Holy Spirit is within you. Think about that. There are other things I would like to tell you, but you are free to invite me and I can tell you. Okay? Now, let us pray to the Lord that he will be sufficient to us. And let us pray that his word will convince us that the Holy Spirit has come, that the Holy Spirit is within us, and that the Holy Spirit is with us. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this brief passage, and thank you for your faithfulness. And you have promised that anyone who calls upon your name will be saved. But Father, how are they going to call upon your name if, you, if they do not know about you? Please empower us to be able to tell people about your mighty works so they may know about you and they may call upon your name and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.